the best, 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 best of Crest in the Afternoon countdown. Number 26. Well, that's a little clip from the finale of Haydn's Symphony Number no. 102 in B-flat major. Uh, Franz Joseph Haydn's uh, birthday was in 1732, and he is one of the most influential composers in Western orchestral music. Uh, you often hear him called the father of the symphony, uh, sometimes the father of the string quartet. Uh, he was admired by those after him. And it is interesting that when Johann Sebastian Bach uh, died in 1750, that kind of a, a lot of people look at that as kind of the climax of the Baroque era of music. And Bach considered to be the, the great synthesis who brought that to its, its height. Uh, when he died, Franz Joseph Haydn was 18 years old. And Haydn becomes really the next great fruitful figure uh, again, friend of Mozart, who's uh, a little younger. With me now to talk about Franz Joseph Haydn and to give us some appreciation uh, for this uh, this man's influence and his the beauty of his work, we've got uh, Robert Riley. He's a writer, director of the Westminster Institute, the author of several books, including uh, Making Gay Okay, How Rationalizing Homosexual Behavior is Changing Everything, the Closing of the Muslim Mind, an essential book, by the way, to understand the problem with uh, Islam, especially Sunni Islam in the world today. The Closing of the Muslim Mind, How Intellectual Suicide Created the Modern Islamist Crisis, and also Surprised by Beauty, a Listener's Guide to the Recovery of Modern Music. Robert, good to have you here again. Thanks. Al, how nice to be with you, and I congratulate you on your inspiration to have this uh, few minutes together on celebrating Haydn's birthday. Yeah. I, I noticed that you love Haydn. In fact, you wrote, if I had to be left with only one composer in your life, it would be Franz Joseph Haydn. And I, I thought, I've got to talk to, <laughs> I've got to, talk to Robert. <laughs> tell, me, tell me why. Well, I think it's because of the balance and grace, uh, the humanity in his music. He's he's the composer to live with, <clears throat> and Al, he was so productive, you'll never run out of Haydn. You know, more <laughs> than a hundred symphonies and more forty, uh, 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 more than. Uh, 68 string quartets, 29 piano trees, 14 masses, and six oratorios, etc. I mean, I usually, often in the morning, I'll, I'll listen to a Haydn sonata, and almost every evening I listen to a Haydn quartet. Is that so? So Haydn is kind of my daily bread. <laughs> and the other thing is that Haydn, Haydn's music expresses gratitude because he himself, uh, was so grateful to God, as he said. Mm -hmm. And uh, that comes through his joy, uh, his serenity, uh, and of course, his deep faith. And, and he it's recounted whenever he was having trouble composing, 
I think particularly when he was great, writing his great oratory of the creation, yeah, uh-huh. uh, he'd pick up the rosary. I didn't know that. Pace around the room, say some Hail Marys, and, yeah. then the, and then the inspiration would return to him. And this, uh, this deep sense of faith also gave Haydn a very deep humility. He was always acknowledging that his gifts and talents were gifts from God. Mm-hmm. And on a public occasion that was perhaps one of his life's greatest successes, when the Creation Oratorio premiered in Vienna, the audience went wild, (laughs) and they picked Haydn up in his chair and began parading him around the concert hall. And Haydn would throw up his arms uh, toward the heavens, exclaiming, it was from him. It was from him. Yeah, yeah. That work, The Creation, is a, a later work of his, and it's um, it was very innovative for the time. Isn't that right? Well, Haydn was an innovator in the sense that you mentioned at the beginning, Al, in, in the sense that it was he, basically, who created the string quartet genre. Yeah. And he, in a way, created the symphony. He certainly developed the symphony to its fully mature form. And he wrote some 20 operas and those 14 masses, um, and, and his later masses, particularly the last six, are considered amongst the greatest liturgical masterpieces of all time. Oh. And the Creation Oratorio uh, is one of the truly sublime works. Yeah. You know, Haydn, at, at the beginning, portrays the chaos and does so with an instrumental section that contains a good deal of dissonance, because he knew the expressive power of dissonance, Mm -hmm. and when things are formless, you use dissonance to express that. Right. But, But then, of course, as creation proceeds, you reach the point where God said, let there be light, and at that, there's an explosion yep. of a C major chord that will, that w- is one of the most thrilling and moving moments in all of music. I agree. I agree. Uh, I remember the first time I heard uh, the creation it was well quite a long time ago now, but uh, I was not. In, I was nobody had warned me um, of of the shift and the uh, the, the the dynamic. Uh, shift there, and it just blew my socks off, as they say. So it was just sublime. Um, And and you know, one reason for Haydn's popularity and why he's such a a standard part of my life is his accessibility. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, tell us about that. he's an innovator, he always sort of lets you know what what he's doing and, Mm -hmm. and pulls you into it. Yeah. So it's such the music is so engaging. You know, um, he his life. Um, I know that he had a, a long time where he was able to. Uh, he was very productive, very busy with the uh, Esterhazy family, and um, he was able to uh, have a fairly stable life for quite a long period of time. I imagine that contributed to his uh, productivity. Is that right? Well, it did because his duties at the Esterhazy 
palace were to produce the music that yeah. was played there on a daily basis, which means he had to write symphonies. He wrote the masses for the Esterhazy family. And the great thing is that since the the prince liked music, he had an orchestra, of which Haydn was the head, and that yeah. allowed Haydn to innovate and to experiment. I mean, he was isolated in, in the, at that Eisenstadt estate, which I visited, but that isolation also allowed his genius to blossom in, in uh, you know, not... Uh, in ways that might have been inhibited had he been in Vienna. So, yeah, that was a great partnership, the the princes of Esterhazy and Haydn. You know, I just found you know, this wonderful quote, Al, that if we can share with your listeners. Yeah, please. This, is, this typifies the spirit of Haydn. When he was having such a hard time over so many obstacles in his labors, and it was difficult for him to continue. Here's what he said, and I'm quoting from Haydn here. A secret voice whispered to me, There are so few happy and contented peoples here below. Grief and sorrow are always their lot. Perhaps your labors will once be a source from which the careworn or the man burdened with affairs can derive a few moments rest and refreshment. Wow. That is beautiful. This was indeed a powerful motive to press onwards, and this is why I now look back with cheerful satisfaction on the labors I expended on this art. Can you imagine? I mean, this is a man, this great, great music yeah. he produced to give us a few moments rest and refreshment. <laughs> I, it's beautiful. It takes yeah. your breath away. Yeah, yeah. They call him Papa Haydn. What's that about? That's what his orchestral members at Esterhazy called Haydn, and that just is a reflection of how wonderfully amenable he was, uh, how he treated people in a loving, paternal way. So they called him Papa, and that was a name of endearment that spread throughout Europe, where he was known as Papa Haydn. The other great a classical composer is Mozart, uh, a little younger uh, than uh, Haydn. What what kind of relationship did they have? They were wonderful friends, and they influenced each other a great deal. Uh, Mozart said that he learned how to write string quartets from Haydn, and of course he dedicated a set of uh, string quartets to Haydn. So it, and Haydn was influenced by the genius of of Mozart as well. In fact, when Haydn met Mozart's father, he told him that you know, sir, your son is the greatest composer in Europe. <laughs> so that, um, wow. And by the way, if I could just tell you one other anecdote, uh, when uh, Haydn's string quartet was played and Mozart was present. A fellow composer criticized the quartet to Mozart, saying, well, I would not have done it that way. Mm -hmm. And Mozart scolded him, neither would have I, but that's because neither of us would have thought of such an excellent idea. In fact, you could melt the two of us together, and we would still not add up to a Haydn. <laughs> <laughs> 
and and Al, most movingly, uh, you know, Mozart died so young, right? And it broke Haydn's heart, and he wouldn't allow Mozart's name to be mentioned in his presence from then on. Really? Yeah, because whenever he heard it, he burst out in tears. Wow. You know, I, 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 in my mind, I always think of a Bach as the great culmination of the Baroque period, and then you have this incredibly fruitful Haydn, Mozart, and then there's Beethoven. I want to come back on the other side of the break, if we can, Robert, and also talk to. about uh, how Haydn and Beethoven got, because Beethoven is that titan with one foot in the classical era and one foot in the romantic era. And I'd like to know how he and... Uh, Haydn got along, if they did. Sure. My guest is Robert Riley. We're enjoying a conversation uh, regarding Franz Joseph Haydn, whose birthday was yesterday, 1732. The best. 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 Of Cresta in the Afternoon Countdown. Number 26. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Robert Riley, and we are uh, just showing our gratitude to uh, really one of the, by everybody's uh, agreement, one of the very greatest composers in the Western orchestral tradition, Franz Joseph Haydn, who was born in 1732. And we were talking about, uh, again, he's been known as the father of the symphony, the father of the string quartet. Uh, He and Mozart really kind of define the classical era. And then there's Beethoven, who's another giant figure that um, was actually uh, at one time a student of uh, Haydn. Uh, Beethoven goes on to be, uh, again, not only a great classical composer, but also a romantic composer. What was their relationship like, Robert? Did they get along? Well, they they had a sort of tetchy relationship. I mean, uh, the, when uh, Haydn first met Beethoven uh, in Bonn, Beethoven was 20 years old, and he showed Haydn some of his early compositions— Haydn was impressed enough that he was willing to to teach Beethoven, and he encouraged Beethoven to move to Vienna, which Beethoven did. And about a year or so later, they began their lessons. Uh, There were several problems. One was that Haydn was working very hard on his own compositions at the time, and also he would have prolonged absences, uh, particularly to London, where on his second trip he was gone for more than a year. So Beethoven was sneaking lessons with other composers. (laughs) He didn't want Haydn to know. Okay. Uh, So Haydn Haydn returned, and uh, they they began working together. And Beethoven showed Haydn his Opus 1 string uh, uh, piano trios. Uh, large body of music, these three trios, which were going to be premiered. And an exhausted Haydn looked them over, and by the time he got to the third trio, he had some criticisms. Mm. And Beethoven, as you might imagine, being the prickly person he was, did not take criticisms very well in this uh, sort of... uh, 
severed their relationship, or maybe sever is too long, too strong a word. Uh, uh, Beethoven respected Haydn and had a very high regard for Haydn's achievement, but he was also cranky, and and Beethoven would later say that he never learned anything from Haydn. (laughs) (laughs) That's how he got his revenge. But, you know, you can't... Beethoven's sublime achievement in the symphonic form Mm -hmm. certainly was anchored in uh, Haydn's late symphonies. Yes. I know the first two of Beethoven's symphonies are much more classical-sounding than the latter symphonies. Exactly. Yeah. Very much so. And then, of course, by the time the third comes along, we're off into a new world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's right. But, you know, Haydn's, uh, Beethoven, of course, wrote his Mass in C, and then he wrote his Misa Solemnis, which is one of the great, great masterpieces. And uh, that, again, reflects the influence of those late Haydn masterpiece okay. masses. Okay. I, d- I, d- I was unaware of that. Um, Haydn, what was, uh, what was his family life like? Well, Haydn had a dis- pretty disastrous uh association. His wife had absolutely no interest in music. Uh, She would use uh, 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 Haydn's uh, composition papers to uh, uh, line her her baking pans. I mean, it was... No, no. No, no. It did not go well, Al. So they separated, oh. and uh, he lived singly for the rest of his life. Really? Okay. Yeah, okay. they had no children, so, huh. you know, on the other hand, <laughs> that, <laughs> All the better for us. To concentrate on his work, and uh, you can imagine how trying it would be to have a wife who had absolutely no understanding of or sympathy for music. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was easy oh. with her criticisms of him. So that was not a happy part of his life. But the amazing thing about it, despite that trial, uh, Haydn maintained that marvelous cheerfulness. Yeah, that he he was an endemically, you know, cheerful man. And he, he, I'm trying to see if I can find a wonderful quote from him as to why he says it. Oh, yeah, here it is. Here's a quote from Haydn. Since God has given me a cheerful heart, he will forgive me for serving him cheerfully. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. That's beautiful. It's just not the sweetest thing, you know. Yeah. Um, So he he had a very vibrant living faith, is that right? It sounds... Very much so. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, here's the... When... um, Excuse me. Sure. He, um, I just was coming across another quite beautiful remark by Haydn that um, this is actually from when when he was berated late in life for the cheerful tone of his religious music, Haydn simply said that every time he thought of God, his heart leapt for joy. So, Al, there you go. You know, joy begets joy. Yeah, yeah. And that's why one never tires of Haydn's music, why it always refreshes. Yeah. 
and then of course there's the range in the music. You know, mm-hmm. there's wit, there's charm, there's great drama in the symphonies, and there's adoration. And you know, since we're in Lent, I I, I can't talk about Haydn without uh, to his great composition, The Seven Last Words. I'm so glad you brought that up. I used to play those and offer uh, a theological uh, and biblical commentary on them years ago uh, when Did I had a program. Really? Yes, and I, I, well, I love them. Yeah. Then you know, of course, he, they, they, they exist in, in, for piano, uh, for an in, in orchestral form, choral form, and also uh, in string quartet form. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I have to confess my love for the string quartet form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, here was this challenge to write all of these consecutive adagios, and it was it was commissioned by the uh, cathedral in Cadiz, Spain, and they would give a reading of one of the seven last words, and then they'd play another adagio. But I, every Lent, I take out my favorite uh, rendition of this by the Cherubini Quartet mm-hmm. and listen to it, uh, you know, without the text themselves, because the music so directly expresses, yes. this is music at the foot of the cross. That's right. That's right. And as I... If, you, if you've never heard a string quartet weep, listen to the music in that format. Yeah. It, it, is, it is so profoundly moving. It so expresses the depth of this man's faith. Yeah. Uh, and is a product of, of genius, of humble genius. Uh, was it originally done for Good Friday? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In in the cathedral in Cadiz, and also we could probably mention again for Lent um, uh, an earlier composition was uh, Haydn's Stabat Mater, which yes. is also also a fine work. Yeah. yeah, not at the same level of genius as as the Seven Last Words, but still not- notable. Yeah, yeah. Um, do do we know? Uh, I'm just curious. Uh, do we know what kind of the? You've mentioned a few quotes already about uh, his his having a cheerful uh, heart, and that uh, corresponds to uh, God giving him a cheerful heart. So he he composes uh, in a way that that uh, spirit of rejoicing is accessible. Uh, do do we know if he had a dark time? Uh, did he compose out of a dark period? Well, uh, he he certainly had his difficulties. Um, he he had to work. Uh, uh, he, he had a tre- he had tremendous demands were placed upon him. Uh, so he was an extremely hard worker. And, of course, we mentioned the marital problems earlier, which couldn't yeah. have been a happy time. And, of course, he came from—his uh, mother was a cook, and his father was a wheelwright. Huh. So this is not a man who, you know, emerged from an aristocratic background. Yeah, yeah. 
and he was in a a boys choir and when his his voice broke at puberty he was sort of let's say out of work <laughs> yeah i guess so uh, right. you know yeah. uh but of course he was a fine musician and um at 17 he was on his own and in okay. those days al of course uh it wasn't uh the time of beethoven yet where uh, when beethoven trailblazed uh, the kind of independent professional composer that's right who yeah. could who could basically live without uh, the steady aristocratic patronage Haydn needed that and so um, he he found some early patrons that allowed him to begin developing his talent but he didn't leave um, he didn't leave a, a memoir expressing you know, terrible anguish uh, or crises of this kind. I mean, Haydn's autobiography is in his music. Yes. And you can listen to that develop since he wrote from uh, the time of a young man. You you hear him develop. It's amazing to have those 106 symphonies uh, and to see how, first of all, they're all wonderful, but of course, the, the early ones are much simpler. Right, right. And then uh, Haydn learns how to exploit uh, harmonies, and he, his uh, skill at counterpoint uh, grows so considerably, so that by the time you get to your, his middle symphonies, uh, you, you see tremendous advances. And then by the time he gets to his London symphonies, Paris symphonies, then his London symphonies, you're talking about uh, masterpieces of the, for the ages. Are they called London and Paris symphonies because that's where they were composed or because of a, an attempt to, uh, you know, hit a certain uh, image? Uh, there's a certain no, it's, it's, you're right, Al. It's, it was the source of the commission. Gotcha. Yeah, Haydn wasn't in Paris when he was writing him, uh, I don't believe, but he was commissioned. Yeah. Uh, The commission came from Paris, and then it was later in life when the Prince of Esterhazy basically released Haydn from his chores, kept him on salary, but allowed him to do anything he wanted, and he was invited to London. And okay. where he received those commissions, gotcha. which were enormously successful. Well, I hear the music coming up under us, Robert. I want to thank <laughs> you for giving us a, just a beautiful uh, picture of Franz Joseph Haydn and uh, stirring our gratitude for him. Thank you. Thank you, Al. Great to be with you. Robert Riley. I'm Al Cresta. <laughs> 